This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon as the basis for investment decisions. Podcast guests and their clients may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hello and welcome to another week of the Three Wise Monkeys podcast, a weekly podcast that's all about the markets and investing. My name is Andrew Page, founder of strawman.com, and I'm joined by Claude Walker from ethicalequities.com.au. G'day. And Matt Joss from mattjoss.com. Thank you, Andrew. Very happy to be here. Guys, uh, as always, lots and lots to talk about. Matt, you want to run us through what we're chatting about today? Yeah, so we're talking through a few companies today. Um, Claude's going to kick us off with uh, an update on Paragon. We're going to talk a little on a company that starts with C that gets a few mentions at some point. You can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious. <laughs> we're gonna. Um, I'm going to talk a bit about earning season prep, um, something that I've been doing a bit of uh, recently. Um, and then Claude's going to talk through another much more exciting company, uh, Kit McGrath. There you go. And I believe, Andrew, you're going to take us through uh, Nearmap, a very exciting company that's yeah. uh, been exploding higher. I think higher we've recently. all owned at one point or another. Yeah. And you guys still own, right? Still do. Cool. Wish I had more. Anyway, so, Claude, uh, let's kick off with Paragon. Tell me, what on earth does Paragon do and what's the ASX ticker? So, that, the, the ticker is uh, ASX PGC, and it's basically a distributor of... Um, healthcare equipment, mostly to hospitals and mm -hmm. clinics. I basically wanted to touch on it because previously I had suggested it was goodbye. I think I said it um, on a few different places, including um, on ethical equities. And I now realize that that's wrong. And I put out a quick update this morning after I saw their downgrade where I basically said uh, I would sell the shares on open. They gave a bit of guidance. It wasn't pretty. Yeah, so basically previously they'd said they're sort of pro forma, underlying EBITDA, and I think people should sort of already realise, Claude, why did you own this stock? But anyway, this is why it was low conviction. Good old EBITDA. They used a lot of pro forma EBITDA, you know, profits before this, that, and the mm -hmm. other. And that was at a, sitting at about 19.7 million, according to 20, uh, the 2018... Um, presentation mm -hmm. and today they announced that for the first half they essentially expect the continuing business to have a bit of 14 million the discontinued business which they still own and still operates mm. you going even, through the due diligence sale process you could even say the business continues but anyway <laughs> they've classed it as it's, de it's dead to them already yeah, so that loss loses Five million, right. so that leaves you with nine million a bit. But then that nine million a bit includes essentially an accounting change that boosted it by one point eight million. Okay, so you're left. So there's a lot of moving parts in all of that. But the, but the bottom line here is that they're going to deliver a result that was well below previous guidance. Well, yeah. So if you then sort of just annualize that half year result, you get um, sort of fourteen and a bit million a bit, which is you know approximately a quarter down on the previous year. Well, were... more, I think, because again, they do a lot of pro forma kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. And for those playing a lot at home, that just means let's assume that everything we've got now we'd had for the previous 12 months. It's probably not a terrible thing to at least highlight when you are when you have been so acquisitive when the business is substantially I mean, they've made different acquisitions and stuff. they're basically supposed to be growing and yeah well okay so, so i take i take the point but but they they were on a pro forma basis 30 million the the full year guidance was 
36 million pro forma for this current year. Yeah, right. well, now, and so what they've done in these results, they've basically said, look, we're going to get about 240 million in rev. We were hoping for 260 mil. We're going to get about 28 million in EBITDA. Again, we were hoping for about 36 odd mil. So it's a, it's a pretty substantial, you know, um, reduction. 22% down from their previous guidance, 7% below the previous pro forma result. But the the other side of the to argument me, this is just another reminder of why like stocks that talk about pro forma are a bit underlying this that and the other they're just they're not good. It it you, it means you do have to look extra. And again, I'm just playing devil's no, just, advocate it, here it as I like to do. It's spinning a story, in my opinion. Like it's always a story, and it's so hard to see the truth. If you've got a great business, you don't need to give guidance of all of this like random stuff. In my opinion, yeah, uh, man, that's such a good topic for another day. Do you need to give guidance no, in, under what circumstances and what should you do to. with it? I think all of our major, the majority of our portfolio holdings don't okay. give this sort of guidance. Okay, so um, it, it's it's out for you. It's and dead it, to yeah, you so as well. It's gone. It's not. Me, um, I saw on Twitter I today. So in my mind, like I had already sold it. In reality, in my mind, I sort of sold it publicly. On open, I published pro- like just on pretty much 10 a.m. Um, published saying I'd sell on open the link, opening price. Link of- in the show notes. Sure, you never put them in the show notes, but please do this time. <laughs> Feel free to start editing <laughs> anytime you like, my friend. Um, anyway, so oh, we move on quick from that, didn't we, Matt? No, no, no. I'm happy for so, you to do yeah, all the work. And Excellent. this is an example where I think the sell on open was the smart thing to do because that was at 55 cents. It closed at 50 cents. And honestly, like maybe there'll be a bit of a re- rebound tomorrow. But I think as it sort of sinks in that the stock, it deserves to have like a quality downgrade, not just an earnings downgrade as well. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, no good. Sorry all right. about that cool. one. Okay, next one. Matt, what are we going to talk about next? Yeah, I guess just what I'm, I'm working on, we all are a little bit, yep. but just thinking a bit about earning season prep. Earning so, season. so earning season, I just want to touch on why I think it's really important to prepare for it. And so it's, it's only twice a year in Australia that we get a full P&L um, balance sheet from our companies. Mm-hmm. And in the US, obviously, it's quarterly. So it's only really twice a year. Normally, we get an update on the fundamentals of the business. And a lot of investors, it's kind of like a time of apprehension. They're, they're kind of like, it's like this judgment day, I guess, where it's coming. Cross your and, fingers, hope for the best. Yeah. And also there's a lot of uh, kind of reacting rather than like carefully responding. And I think that comes from um, not being prepared for what's coming, I guess. Mm. If you're just waiting in this barrage, oh, you get an email, oh, there's a new update and I didn't know that was coming. Oh, how do I read that? You've got four of them that day. So I guess the, the steps um, that I like to do beforehand is mm-hmm. to... Uh, just start by drawing up like a calendar, at least for my companies, but also for companies you're interested in. So you can have an idea often, unfortunately, you'll have like six companies reporting on one day. I've got a big question. Uh-huh. Will you please share with our listeners and myself your calendar? <laughs> That's very proprietary information, Claude. <laughs> no, come on. It's not the most secret of the Matt Joss secrets. Um, and so, so that's a big one. And the earnings calls, I think, are really good as well. So being able to jump on those earnings calls, um, listening to what analysts are asking. Mm. So that's an interesting one because it's not often that you get a chance to see um, what the consensus is. Like if you want to hear what everyone else thinks about a company. If you're going off and doing your own stuff, you don't hear that very much. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think that's that's a good opportunity. Yeah, go well, uh, a lot of people will be listening and sort of saying, well, wh- wh- I when, where was this analyst call? How come I didn't hear about it? Can I come along? I've I'm, I'm got shares in it. I'm just as important as everyone else. Isn't that a really reasonable question? I know a lot of companies do um, tend to, post that on the ASX but not all right yeah. it seems to be a bit of a you know private club there 
unfortunately. Yeah, it depends on the company, I guess. Yeah. Like a lot of them do publish it these days, particularly in the smaller space because they're just happy to have anyone paying attention and <laughs> calling it. As analysts, we certainly always encourage that kind of behaviour, didn't we? <laughs> encourage like, or like, so, well, what, what, when, what As analysts ourselves... Yeah. What's your attitude to management being? Praise them for making it public for everyone to join or try to be like, oh, don't make the random... No, 100%. Because I, I think it's a sign of a bad analyst if they don't want retail investors on Look, the Look, there is, there is a pure logistics question. If you have a thousand people on there, there's going to be a lot of... You're never going to get but through best, it. But what I think what, a lot of the, the best... best the best ones take questions for ages. Yep, and and another way, an easy hack really is just to basically say, well, look, analysts can ask the questions, but anyone can sort of dial in. Yeah, I guess it depends for me how big how that kind of yeah. for the constraint. for the companies I've in had my portfolio. Yeah. Sorry, for the companies in my portfolio, I'd hate to see that. I've had some pretty loose questions I've heard as well, yeah. but I think generally I, I prefer it to be open. I think you're right, Claude. There's too much of the closed thing where they just want and they they line them up like softball questions I've seen sometimes. Yeah. Some companies that won't be named where it's like you know, oh, great quarter, guys. Everyone says great quarter. Everyone's a lot of bat padding. And, That's yeah. the thing, right? Like some of the, the the fluffiest questions come from analysts. Oh, yeah. right? Would you say that next half is going to be great or fantastic? No, no. <laughs> you missed the, the great quarter, guys. Uh, could you please give us a little bit of color around oh, how fantastic how profits the down eighty percent? Yeah. A lot of it. A lot of it seems to me as well. I would, I'm going to guess 75 percent of calls tends to be basically it's it's dressed up in a lot of fancy language, but the question is what are your numbers going to be next half? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, yeah. We're looking out six months because that's all we can afford to do and just tell us what number I need to put in my spreadsheet, which is really lazy work, I think, from a lot of analysts and, and misses. I actually I probably shouldn't complain because it is that time longer time horizon that gives us a bit of an edge, but one of the things that does drive me crazy with those calls. Yeah, So, but I like being able to hear what if they're all focusing on the wrong thing, that can't be a really good yeah. mispricing opportunity. Yeah. If they're asking about something stupid and you're like, these guys, what are you doing? Okay, yeah. So um, we've got two things yeah. so far. Yep, yeah, so the other one is to sharpen up valuation if that's your approach I think that's a good time to prep and have everything ready to just fill in the details because otherwise you come come back to scratch yep. and it can take you half a day to figure out if what, what the news means so it gives you an opportunity to price that in yep. um, and the last one is just to have an idea in your mind about the metrics that you like to that are going to matter for that company yeah. uh, so I picked up something from David Gardner which was green flags and red flags mm-hmm. uh, so green flags being good things that could happen and red flags being bad things that could happen defined um, in advance yeah, defined yeah. in advance. Just coming up with a rough idea it doesn't have to be exhaustive, but just some of the main points you're going to be looking at. And one good thing is it can help you identify if they stop reporting a point, which yeah. happened, as I mentioned with class previously, or at least stop and, and illustrating all, it as much. such a key thing is yeah. that too many people who would even call themselves analysts, they will look, they'll read the announcement that the company's made and they'll just take all of the comparables in that announcement and report them. But they won't go back and look at what were the data points that they were reporting on last half and Mm. the half before that and the half before that. Mm. And a simple process, so people do it in different ways. Um, You might have green flags that you're looking for, but you also might have data points that you track. And I have, Mm. for all my companies, a spreadsheet, and I often publish these graphs on ethical equities. Mm. I've got graphs I've been building over years, and that's like a little competitive advantage for me because I just put in the latest data point and I can see the picture. And analysts who haven't bothered to keep those... I like your charts. Thank you, mate. Um, Analysts who haven't bothered to keep those graphs, they have, like, no idea. So they just report the percentage growth rate yeah. that's in whatever the, the company wants you to say exactly. in the, the top and three bullet points. Exactly, and those graphs are what will alert you to the fact 
that they may have switched around the metrics that they're highlighting yep. because you know exactly what metric you're following over the years. That's a good and point. good companies will never change the metrics they report on. Yep. Yeah, 100%. Let me ask you a question because this is something I really struggle with. Um, inevitably, any company has you know great quarters or great halves, poor halves. How do you how do you tease apart that which may be legitimate sort of noise mm. within an industry between something that points to a, a a deterioration in the longer term trend? So you know you know I imagine for all of the companies you're looking, you're really trying to have a gauge of revenues and profits you know five years sort of out. Yeah. Um, you know, and all of a sudden there's a ten percent miss this half. What makes that? Nah, just that the normal vicissitudes of, of yeah, life, yeah, or yeah. actually this is the this is the start. And I, I I've seen examples of both, yeah. and and like that instant reaction can either be an, a great opportunity or a really good time to get out. How do you tell the difference? Uh, it's a very good question because it's very difficult. I think to me it's coming back to what would you say if you're thinking about what's like the probability distribution of the fundamentals. So right. uh, you know, is yeah. there is if it's half the customers leaving, that should be like a Six Sigma event. That should be way out in the tails of the distribution, right. really rare. Yeah. If it's one customer leaving, that's inevitably going to happen. So yeah. to me, that probably wouldn't be a thesis breaker in almost any business, mm. but it might be for some businesses very close to a thesis breaker, depending on how concentrated they are, yep. how sticky. If we think that customers typically stay around for 20 years, yep. that's a pretty low um, you know, pretty low probability anyone would leave in any given year. Yep. And so there's that, one thing yeah. to leave because they themselves went bust. There's another because they chose a competing Product. Yeah, and you need to dig behind the narrative that com the company gives you as well, because they'll yeah. always say there's some you know mistake that the customers made. They'll be back in six months. They're not going to put a bad a negative spin on it. Yeah, and you have to just that's like a good opportunity to go away and dig into what happened. So that's like that's what this um, earnings season should be for, I guess, is trying mm. to like make sense of the stories you're being told. Yeah, um, and it can be a really good opportunity to find mispricings at that time. Yeah. yeah. So on that exact point, do you? Usually in an earnings season, especially now you're a free man unconstrained to trade, do mm. you anticipate sort of doing more trading during earnings season or will you be sort of taking your time to digest the results before trading anyway? Kind of like in the middle, I guess. Probably quicker. You can be a little quicker to um, to, to make the trade, but it's um, I'm not really keen for the short-term stuff <laughs> too complicated for me so it's more like being ready to pull the trigger quickly i guess you have a bit a bit less slowing you down um in that regard so yeah if you have all the prep work done right you're waiting for this report you know it's going to come on this date and you could um, make a decision quite quickly and i think that's where it's not like it's not like instant but if you can make a decision within six hours you can make a decision within two days often you'll still get a huge benefit from whatever mm -hmm. positive news if it takes like weeks sometimes months for the market to really price something in particularly very good news yeah so analyst reports tend to come out anywhere from days to weeks after exactly to get you know sort of people update their valuations and it sort of filters out quite slowly really and yeah. you know what i think is interesting in all of that i think even the most disciplined of analysts and professionals and that will be influenced by the market reaction so a lot of the time i know i do this all the time you you see an announcement right and you know generally i, I might be looking at the announcement through comsec or whatever platform i'm using and I, you can't help but notice that the shares are down 10 percent so ergo it must be a bad announcement right like otherwise shares wouldn't be down 10 percent but very, very, very few people are going to make a fully informed, you know, thoughtful analysis of that news and be right. And yet, by the time the analysts have produced their report a week or so later, they're invariably going to be biased yeah. by that. Well, There's a self-fulfilling prophecy I agree to completely. It. Like that, no one can escape that. Although I do think that 
the preparation Matt's talking about can help uh, actual yes. earnings. Yep. Mm. So I think if you can always just try to digest the information prior to seeing the share price move, yeah, that helps. That's really but good. But also too. it's not always a bad thing if the, if you do notice the share price move because imagine a situation where you completely missed the bad thing. Yeah, yeah, that can happen as well. Yeah. Like I don't think you should be blind to the share price, mm. but it's like it's better to f- if you can form an opinion first, as you say, yeah. if you have that opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know what? I, I think just to wrap up that conversation, I think it's just re- I'm probably a bu- I'm probably paraphrasing Buffett. Um, everything gets traced back to him sooner or later. But I just I just love that idea with a call. It's just like if forget about the share market. If this was just a private company, I'm some billionaire business owner, and the management mm. team is reporting to me. What do I want to know? Yeah. You know that they're they're that really, I think, sets a, frames up the questions that you need to ask so well. Yeah. Because if you can think like an owner, you'll you'll have a better appreciation of the business and probably better returns longer term. Absolutely. What next? My yeah, turn. What next? Yeah. Why don't you Why don't you uh, talk about a, a good company? Like, yeah. What? What do you mean? Like, no, for, you, for once, you've actually done extremely well on this, and you actually were the one that got me to buy near map. I'm sure of the fact. Uh, I was when you recommended it. It was I, I already bought. Shares I'll take the then. credit for that. I already owned shares when you recommended it, but I bought more after that. It was a, it's been a five bagger, so it's been very good. Hey, you know what's interesting about that? Um, and and we'll get to the other stuff later on. But I think it, at the, it look, looks genius in hindsight. But if you remember, Claude, when we were talking about that back then, they just had a CEO leave. They had terrible cost discipline. They was you know they were ramping up marketing and that to move into these all of these red flags that we would normally yeah. run a mile on. Actually, turned out that. No, the 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 story has actually played out well, really yeah, well I, from I there. remain remain a little more skeptical of it. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, and and I, I guess my, my point no, is I, not to go ha ha. It's more it's more to sort of say I think when when we when we often talk about these heuristics, we've got to remember they are heuristics and that there are plenty of exceptions to the rule. And I think a lot of the time with these these things, they can represent wonderful opportunities if you keep your eye on the horizon because yes it's a five bagger for me that's that's great i'm really happy with Should it we explain a little about what near but, does? Yeah. but i'm talking i just want to make this point that this was this was over four years ago so it's been let four us proceed this report <laughs> with this five period. minutes of gloating and, and, I'm, and, and, I'm, and i'm more trying to sort of say hey maybe this will happen with some of the other crappy things i'm holding at the moment we'll yeah. see okay. so uh, i don't know about the lesson you're taking <laughs> away here but yeah, just, i gotta cling, gotta cling <laughs> to something hopeful here near map was a great success for me therefore <laughs> catapult is also there going is. to be oh, a great success some hard with you take a drink come on take a drink, <laughs> take, a drink. take your first sip. okay but like can you take us back okay way back now to 2013-14 so like well, it's been doing the same thing for that long. Okay, okay. So very, very, very quickly, it is an aerial imaging and mapping company. The best way to think of it is Google Earth on steroids. Better resolution, updated more often, and there's a whole bunch of analytics that you can overlay on that. So really useful. The classic example is with solar installations. You can see the angle of the roof, which way the sun is, all these kinds of things. So it allows a lot of operators to to do quotes and a lot of work without ever leaving the comfort of their air-conditioned office. So it's got a really good use case for it. It's always had that use case. You're 100% right. But what's been really interesting about Nearmap is that you know over the last five six years it has been growing. It's 
top line at an absolutely phenomenal rate. Um, they are still a negative cash flow at the moment. Um, they expect to be cash flow positive uh, in this current financial year. Um, they deferred a lot of profitability. By current financial year, you mean by FY19. June? Yeah, so by June they should be. Um, it's, it's so, like, like so many, MSL springs to mind, Catapult springs to mind. A million you don't have of them to, spring, you don't have spring to, to mind. Stop trying to like put the high <laughs> halo onto other stocks. Like. <laughs> no, well, no, but I'm, I'm saying these are bad examples. What, so in other words, what they did is they, they ramped up costs because they were going to pursue this opportunity in the US. And you, you guys all know the pitch decks, right? So it's like, the US is a three gazillion dollar market. And, you know, if only we capture 2%, we're going to make a million dollars and we've got the best technology. And it's this wonderful, wonderful, super super sexy story. But we know that it so rarely comes out. Afterpay looks like it's it's hitting on that front. Nearmap absolutely has hit on its US expansion. So US, uh, the, the annualized contract value of its US operations are now about one third of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, it's obviously a much larger market, but the pace of growth that they're getting in the US is far faster than it ever was in Australia. And one thing I have to mention as well, even though Australia has been you know, a very mature market relative to, to the US and, and New Zealand and Canada and other places that they're moving to, the, the, the Australian market, is the Australian business rather, is going really, really strongly as well. It's about 23% annual contract value growth in the, in the most recent half. So really, really attractive numbers. Well, thanks for that excited summary. <laughs> Why is that so sarcastic? <laughs> I'm not sarcastic, <laughs> man. I, I've done Viewers, send us an email. Hey, is, I got is a lot of sarcastic. people to buy near, near what are you, like, Plenty of listeners hold Nearmap in their portfolio because of I me. love you, brother. I love you. Go ahead. Um, no, I, I just wanted to chip in with the with sort of, I guess, the story of the ups and downs because you've you've painted a correctly good picture of the business. It's, it's going great guns. I do have some negatives, but yes. But so throughout the story... There was a few ups and downs there. Uh, actually, for a while, even the revenue growth in Australia faltered, which is which is what slowed um, down. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. It sort of, I think actually there might have been a half on half sort of flatness almost. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so like, yeah, that, hence my it didn't word, fall, but it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't, didn't yeah so it, like, fa- it needs to be it growing faltered. 20% yeah, plus. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, so basically, what happened was, you know, we started following this story. Um, when it was just sort of announcing it was going to go into the US with all the costs that that entailed. Of course, it yeah. takes a while for that to like get any traction. And in the meantime, the Australian business faltered. Yep. The CEO... Had a bit of a stall, yeah. There yep. was an old CEO who... Simon Crowther? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he left the business. There mm. was like, I guess a lot of those sort of flag, like those signs that weren't so positive. They and were all there. Meantime, the share price is not doing all that much at this time. And I copped a bunch of grief at the time. And <laughs> so I, own, I owned it for like almost the exact same period you did, except yeah. I sold too soon. Mm. Um, but so we're holding it along this whole way and it's sort of just doing nothing in my portfolio for years. And mm. I, as I said, I made it a big position after you got so enthusiastic about it. Mm. And then it went up to about almost 90 cents and it was finally starting to get sort of a bit popular on the stock market. And then they raised capital. Just like that capital that they arguably didn't need. Um, yep. So, Maybe. but to accelerate yep. growth, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then, isn't it always? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, and then the share price actually dropped back down, and it got into the forty cents range, and that's when you made yet another purchase. Mm. I re- I recall at the time you telling me, and that's 30, that 30, thirty four, but no one's counting. So that is where your mm. um, like I know a few people that bought around there, but that is where you're sort of. You know, sticking to it even when you know the negativity is there has really paid off, right? Because that one so far, but but that purchase was only, I think, in 2017 that all this was happening. Mm. 
So for that final purchase, the returns have been incredible because a little more than a year later, and it's sort of multiple, the share price is multiples higher. So if there's any... Um, if there's any sort of advertisement for not giving up on the thesis, even when it sort of hasn't played out for a few years, I think this is a great advertisement yeah. for it, right? That, that forgives an awful lot of other ones that could go well, down there's, there's two. There's, uh, yeah, there's two things to say there. I'm like I, seriously giving you props No, I, thank here, right? you. I, I, look, thank you. But look, there's, 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 a, there's a couple of things there. I think So I think it's always a, a good idea to, to rebase your thesis, right? And basically say, look, okay, completely wrong, the old one, throw that in the bin. There's two scenarios here. There's, there's a million potential future scenarios, but I like to paint two. Here's what the bulls might say. Here's, here's the argument that I'm hearing from those that like the company. I'm gonna assume that's true. I'm gonna run some numbers on that. I'm gonna push it forward and come up with a valuation. Then I'm gonna say, well, maybe the bears are right. Maybe this isn't ever gonna do what it hopes to do. And maybe this is what the business looks like in three years time. And sometimes, and this was the case with Nearmap, when you do that, you get this massive asymmetry in the potential return profile. So it's kind of a um, heads I win, tails I don't lose too much kind of scenario where it's like, look, the bears might be right. And if so, my downside is fairly limited. But if the bulls are right, or even if they're half right, I've got a lot of upside from here. So I think I think that's the thing. And the other thing I was gonna say is as well, when you're doing a basket approach on these smaller cap kind of stocks, I think it's actually okay if you're wrong six out of 10 times or so, because the gains can be so substantial, it covers a lot of sense i'll add one um slight nuance which mm-hmm. is that you had this stock from a, quite a low price 35 cents or something you're buying quite a lot mm. at um my buy- not, not as much as i should have oh yeah let's, let's be easy. honest yeah um i joined a bit later um it was around 50 cents in, in early 2017 but there was something that had changed there so i think there's like an interesting point where they had basically failed in their first marketing attempt into the u.s yep because they didn't really know what they were doing. No. Um, and I, I, I found this out when we um, chatted to management in 2017 before we bought. And there were some signs that the US was already gaining traction then. And they had quite a different selling process. So yeah. originally, um, they were basically using Google AdWords to advertise yeah. this business. It's actually an enterprise sales business. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Claude. <laughs> um, so they were using this uh, Google AdWords, which is a really a consumer product. Yeah. Like it's not the kind of thing that you'd sign very big deals with, um, and not make. It's very tough to make that work. Yeah. Um, and they changed to a very different model. Yeah. Um, and so that I think was where they really took off. So if you can identify that turning point, that change, that inflection point to a degree, that can be a, a, a great opportunity to to jump on and maybe avoid some of the pain along the way. hundred percent. Although it wasn't just the switch to that new model. I mean, that was sounded like a good idea but yeah when we first started seeing traction on that that totally, yeah. totally that yeah was the and point. you have to yeah that's true you have to yeah. see the traction and look, there's um, a lot of other yeah. color here we're missing out on as well remember like um there were there were near map um employees fairly senior ones that left and started a competing business uh, what was it called Claude Spookfish or something like that yeah it's still um, going yeah still yeah. going yeah, right yeah. um so there's a oh, and then there was a lot of negativity there's a lot of negativity that, you know really yeah. bad it's morale very true it's easy company. to forget about that when it's at two dollars thirty um it is yeah well, it I think is when we you guys still buying no, and this is the point, we should move on, and this is the point I wanted to end on, so. <laughs> Good time I, to move on. I, yeah, I, I think I think there's, and there's much more I could say in terms of the positivity, in terms of it, there's, there's a lot of upside potential um, in terms of what the business will do. I, I think it will be earning, I think it's annualized contract value, probably very likely to be 130 million in just a couple of years or so, um, and probably a business, if it scales well, again, that's the big if, probably NPAT between 20, 30 million at that point in time, so. Um, 
That's great. That's that's a huge improvement. But you know, you look at this thing today. The enterprise value to their the recurring revenue is basically fourteen times. It's a one billion dollar company at this point in time. Price to sales is eighteen. So, do I like this business? Yes. Yeah. Am I continuing to hold? Yes, I am. Would I be buying any more today? No way. Um, it it just it just seems. There is so much optimism priced into this thing. I think it's too expensive, but I'm happy to hold for the moment. Excellent. So let's come cool. back, back to where we began with Mr. Walker. And you were going to talk us through, and I'm sorry, mate, we've, we've kind of, well, let's be honest, I have burnt through a lot of time. Um, you were going to talk us a bit about Kip McGrath. Well, Kip McGrath is a stock that um, has always been close to my heart. It's actually one of the first companies I ever featured in a special hidden report for ethical equities. Mm -hmm. What Kit McGrath Education Centers does is run a bunch of franchises that help kids that are potentially struggling with their maths and English catch up with the rest of the cohort. Now there's totally room for So it's a tutoring business. It is. And there's totally room for kids that are great to like get even better and have fun learning. The main clientele is Parents that feel like, oh, their kid needs a bit of extra help. Mm -hmm. So is this, is this, there's not a particular focus on uh, international students or any of this vocational kind? It really is no, no, so high is school, Australian students, uh, basically a services oriented business. Yeah. So this okay. is a business that's been running around 30 years. It mostly has sort of educators, many of them who've been teachers who are the franchisees. They've just sort of gone into Oh, so it's a franchise business? Yeah, it's okay. a franchise yep. business. So what, um, so well, here's the key. So, when I was buying it um, five years ago, it was at the beginning of a transformation where what had been happening was that they were charging franchisees like a flat fee to be to just sort of like selling the franchise. There you go, you're a franchise. Mm -hmm. um, now just pay us a fee every year. So what they did was they moved to paying a percentage of revenue rather than just a flat fee. And it could be either 10% at a minimum or 20% if you want to be a gold partner. Mm -hmm. Gold partner received extra help with marketing, payroll, okay. um, charging people, and basically all as many administrative aspects of managing the business as possible. So there was it's a really surprise. I've got to say, really surprised knowing you as a vester, like the things that you look at. Here we've got a service-oriented business running a franchise model. You know, we've seen everything that sort of happened in that. Like it just it, it seems out of your normal style box. Oh yeah, I mean it totally is. Uh, so a lot of it was the the people that attracted me to it. So obviously, I was excited to find a company that was basically like helping kids that needed a helping hand. Mm -hmm. So and doing so in doing good. Yeah, and look, and they get and, and but but that's that's not enough it's though. Found, it's what? founded by good um, people, doing people good. who like were and teachers. Doing well. For example, it's like a family business. The son now is the CEO. So nepotism, throw, throw that in the mix. <laughs> yeah, but also like I think that the son also had some need for tutoring himself, and so um, you know basically has an appreciation for how that can help people. Mm -hmm. Nice. And also now in the latest. Um, chairman's report, he said how his granddaughter now attends tutoring. So there's right, three generations. They're eating their own cooking. Give me, some, give me, give me some hard numbers They're here, dude. This is all okay. airy, airy fairy. Give me something solid to sink my teeth into. So basically what they were doing was transitioning into sharing the revenue. Now, this mm -hmm. is the key point, right? And as they shared the revenue, then the, the actual listed company itself could also profit by boosting marketing and by investing in software to do sort of online lessons as well and that sort of thing. So as they sort of did that, they started ramping marketing and that has essentially driven 
uh, that's driven the growth. In their most recent annual report, they showed really great profit growth. Uh, so basically what happened was profit went 41% up for the year to 2 million. So we're really starting to see that like operating leverage come through um, whilst revenue was flat at 13.7 million. However, part of the reason revenue growth is flat is because as they've been moving people over to this sort of new system of revenue share, they've gone from um, basically accounting for the entire revenue that uh, a business like a franchisee gets as their revenue to, well, it's not entire. They're just counting the net they're, amount now. Yeah, they're, so increasingly counting the net amount basically. So mm-hmm. actually I may have put that poorly, but they've basically changed their revenue recognition so that they don't revenue, they, they're not recognizing like the cut that's going to yeah. the franchisees. Um, franchisees. And so that Makes has sense. basically boosted their margins. So you can see on, if you Google Kit McGrath, Ethical equities, you'll you'll find the report, which I show, might put it in the show notes. Which <laughs> that would be wonderful. <laughs> which shows how um, the net profit margin has improved from sort of two percent in 2012 to over 14 percent now. So you're seeing like massive operating leverage at the NPAT level. Nice. Um, and there's still further to go on this transitioning to people to the gold party partners for a start. So that just just what they've been doing that's driven that margin in profit expansion, that process still has further to play out. And then they'll have to sell more franchises to sort of increase their growth, and which they haven't been able to do very much recently. So that might be where it sort of it flattens out. But in the meantime, um, the stock is not trading on a very demanding multiple for, for a company that has been growing profits quite quickly and has the potential to at least continue for some time to um, grow profits quickly, which brings me to the latest news. Basically, they released the chairman's report and he said, we've now grown profits seven years in a a row and based on results to date next year, we'll continue the trend. Uh, The reason for this increase in profit is uh, the number of students taught. That's not just a good outcome for the company, but it's good for our franchisees with most increasing their student numbers. Now, that's key because if they're actually helping their franchisees, that should actually make it easier for them to continue to sell more franchises in the future, Mm. which is what they will need to do if they're going to continue to grow longer term. Look, he finished his speech by saying the outlook for for KME is good. And (laughs) given the the multiple, I think I was saying to you guys, it's about 16 point something enterprise value to free cash flow. Yeah. Um, which compares favorable to a, a lot of other businesses that have much lower or very even, capital light business, right? Yeah. It's, but just for the growth rates that you, you know, even, even on a 10% growth rate, if they can maintain that for a couple of years, mm. then the current multiple of free cash flow is attractive on a pure value basis. Cool. So the expectations are not particularly high. I continue to hold it. I think as we speak, it's actually my second largest holding. So Conviction. full disclosure there. Yeah. Okay. Nice. And also finally, one negative is. The founder is selling down. This mm-hmm. is a fact that he announced to market before he started selling shares. Mm-hmm. And he said that he was going to sell up to 45,000 shares a month for the next couple of years, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Now, for me, I think that's best practice. If a founder says, hey, I intend to sell. Yep. That gives shareholders the opportunity in to sell way. first mm-hmm. if they want. Yep. Um, so that's a that's a, a tick although obviously as we know, I don't like it when founders sell as a general rule. Yeah. Okay, fair enough, mate. That's fantastic. So it's still a buy for you? 
Um, Still a big holding for yeah, you. Yeah, look, as Matt yeah. says, you, you wouldn't have something as your second hold, second biggest holding if you wouldn't be yeah. a buyer. Yeah. Nice. So I suppose on that basis, you know, I suppose so, although nice. this is not a recommendation. Do you know what? You know what's really devastating? We've run out of time. And unfortunately, that means we can't do any catapult today. I know oh, we had no. it in the agenda. I just don't think All we're right, going to have well, time. We won't talk about this. Is that, was it, is that upset? What percent share price the, drop was Give it? us a five second of what happened immediately the day after our last podcast. CEO left. Okay. All right. So they're looking for a so new CEO. They're looking for a new CEO. Very quickly, one, 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 one camp sort of saying, yeah, thank God, get rid of that guy. And it's going yeah. to be fantastic. And I'm more on the camp of, well, I think the board has a lot to answer for and it wasn't him. So we will see. Okay, cool. Hopefully Guys, we'll put the pin in that and not talk about it for a few weeks. Yeah, yeah, cool. let's hope so. Until it goes up considerably. <laughs> oh, then nice. watch okay. out. One day. Watch out. Cool. Um, yeah, thank you very much, as always, for listening to our little podcast. We always enjoy your company. Um, what we would ask as well is if you've got the time... It would really help us if you could add a really nice rating, review, a bit of feedback on yeah. whatever podcast channel you're listening to it. It helps more people get the, the Three Wise Monkey message and means that we can continue doing what we're doing, which would be really, really great. But uh, I think that's all for, for me. Anything else to add, guys? No, that's great. Thanks very much for listening. As always, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>